0: everybody's voice matters. Everybody counts in this, in this world. And uh, you know, when you're doing advocacy for this industry, you've got to make certain that uh, you're counting everybody. And I'll put any one of our members before a senator, a House member, even at the White House, uh, small, medium, large, doesn't matter. If they've got the right message and we need to, to put somebody in front of those decision makers, we will not hesitate to do so. Buckle up. You're listening to Terminal Exchange.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Philip Adams, and we have made it to episode 50 of Terminal Exchange. This is the official podcast show of Newsbomb Transportation. We're almost one year and at 50 episodes into this podcast show, and it, it, in many ways, it feels like we're just getting started. We've got lots of great exchanges that we've had so far, and I'm looking forward to the exchanges we'll be having in the next year coming up. So keep sending in your suggestions and and your questions uh, for new episodes. We need your ideas. I really do want your feedback and those ideas to keep bringing you great content that is valuable to you. So feel free to reach out to me directly or email marketing at newsbomb.com. Next week brings the culmination of one of my favorite times of year. And that, of course, is Christmas. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't have a special episode dedicated to the holiday and celebration around the birth of Jesus. This Thursday, look for a bonus episode that includes a crafted story from our own Paige Wood and a message from Newspom Chaplain Jim Ravel. You won't want to miss that. I think it's going to be great. Then, next week, we've got an extra special feature exchange. Now, instead of that episode dropping on our typical Tuesday, which would be Christmas Eve, we're delivering a special present a day earlier on Monday, December 23rd, right directly to your podcast player. We'll be talking to the jolly man himself, the guy with the sleigh, Santa Claus. You may not know this already, but Santa Claus works right here at Newsbomb. How you ask? Well, you'll just have to listen to our interview with him next week. But this week, We are honored to have the president of the American Trucking Association, Chris Spear, join us for this milestone episode. Thank you to everyone who sent in their questions and topics of discussion for Mr. Spear. I know we weren't able to get to everything, but I hope you'll appreciate the great conversation we had and the insight that Chris provides on the difficult task of lobbying in Washington and working to represent the trucking industry. It's a tough job. And I, for one, do appreciate the work Mr. Spear and the ATA are doing for the industry. To learn more about the American Trucking Association, navigate your browser to www.trucking.org. That's www.trucking.org. And once there, you can find more information about the issues you're passionate about and how you can make your voice heard in Washington. Now, without any further ado, here is our exchange with the president of the American Trucking Association, Chris Spear. Mr. Spear, I am so happy to have you here with us today. I thank you for making the trip here. And uh, I know there's a little bit of snow and everything on the way here from Chicago, but uh, glad you made it here safely.
0: Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: We've only got so much time here, but I want to cover as much as we can and give you an opportunity to address our listeners with as many different interests and topics that we can, but I want to ask you to, uh, intro us into what the American Trucking Association does. What are you advocating? What is your responsibility in the trucking industry? Sure.
0: Well, uh, thanks for the question. That's a good one to start with. Uh, ATA proudly is an 86 year old federation. It was born in 1933, it was a consolidation of, uh, A couple associations at the time uh, that were going through a lot of change in our country. The 30s, obviously, were uh, a very unique time in our nation's history. Uh, The Great Depression certainly fueled that consolidation. It's an association that grew from that consolidation into 50 state federation. Uh, So we have 50 state associations, including here in Illinois, uh, that are part of the ATA federation. And so my role is to govern the Federation, and I'm the ninth president and CEO to do so. I'm based in Washington, D.C., but I do spend a lot of time, probably 40% of my time, out in the field, uh, out in the states like here in Illinois, uh, meeting with our members, meeting with uh, our suppliers, and really you know, getting a, 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 an idea of what's really happening in the real world. Washington's not the real world. Uh, we live and we work there. Um, we advocate on behalf of the industry, but it's very important that what we're advocating uh, really reflect uh, the pulse of the industry. And the only way that we can do that is to really spend a lot of time out here with our state associations, their executives, uh, really understanding what they're working on. But really, the granular level is is here, you know, on the floor, uh, really seeing the operations, the sales, uh, the maintenance crew. This is really important perspective for us to see what's what's really happening out there. but. We take that, we form it into issues, we prioritize those issues, and then we go and advocate them, whether they be on Capitol Hill or in an agency. We do a lot of litigation in the courts on your behalf, so tolling is really a big mm-hmm. issue right now. And we're seeing a lot of that at the state level, but it's largely because our own federal government, our elected officials aren't doing their job. And so it's important that we amplify uh, that, that pressure and that message be amplified to our elected officials. So they do their job, we hold them accountable and we get things done. So we don't have all these, uh, states, you know, taking the reins and that's not really good for an interstate commerce based business. So the Federation really keeps its focus on maintaining that, that consistent thread nationally.
1: When we talk about, uh, the, the ATA and the people that are out there representing the trucking industry, who are these, um, groups made up of?
0: So the ATA membership is very diverse. It's very broad. Uh, in total, we have about 33,000 members. Uh, so we're the largest uh, organization representing our industry in the country, in fact, in the world. Uh, so we also play at the global level with the uh, IRU based in Geneva. So that's the global uh, grouping of associations from around the world. So I do a little bit of benchmarking there, too. Uh, most of my focus is here in the U.S., but I like to know what's happening around the world as well, mm. especially with technology. Um, but as far as the membership is made up, uh, we have pretty much every sector. So you have truckload, you have flatbed, you have refrigerated, tank, ag, auto haulers, uh, you name it. I mean, LTL, it's, it's, it's a very diverse mix. Uh, we have uh, pretty much a broad representation of segments, but we also have size. Uh, we do represent pretty much the largest carriers, but 80% plus of our membership at ATA is less than 20 trucks. So that's very, very important to me. That's interesting to know. As leader of the organization, it is extraordinarily important that we represent the entire industry, not just the large carriers. So a lot of people like to talk about how ATA represents large carriers. That's true. That's true. But over 80% are less than 20. And I like the mom and pop shop because most of those large companies started with one truck. Mm -hmm. And I can name several of them including this company. Exactly. If you look at uh, the growth over the years, the companies that have done well are family run. They have a family focus. Nussbaum has a tremendous pedigree, great story, but they're not alone. And it's important when you're advocating in Washington, D.C., that you use the biggest error in your quiver. What is that for ATA? That's reach. We have members in every state and every congressional district in the United States. So if you take just one segment of the industry, you're limiting your ability to influence outcomes that benefit our industry, that grow our industry. But at ATA, I represent all the segments, large, medium, mm-hmm. and small as well. And so when I go in and we're advocating, say, a piece of legislation in the House of Representatives, I pretty much can, if I've got a member of the House that's on the fence, hasn't taken a position, and let's just say UPS or FedEx, you know, two of the largest in the country, don't have a presence in that con- congressperson's district, it's that usually that 20-truck member that does, and they have a relationship hmm. there. And they're the ones that are able to pick up the phone and make that ask. We do it all the time, but it, it has an empowering effect when it's coming from a constituent, a voter, and an employer. That's a really key elements to getting things done that benefit our industry. So our membership is extremely important, the diversity is very important. It also comes with a catch. Um, we can eat our own very much in this industry. You pick a particular issue, you'll find others in the industry that don't like what you're doing. So you have to govern the ATA by picking an agenda, an issue set that hopefully benefits everybody, like tax reform or <laughs> infrastructure or trade, yeah. workforce development. These are things, no matter your size or your, or what part of the industry you're working uh, they're they're universally applicable so we try to really focus on the broad diversity and an agenda that aligns perfectly with that as much as possible yeah.
1: yeah and I think that's interesting just that you've got such a large sector of your membership that is these small companies and like you said we started out small and in fact we've doubled in size in just the last handful of years realistically and um, knowing that you know you are Interested in those parties as well is important.
0: Yeah, coming to NOSPOM, it, it, it brings back hometown memories. I, I was born and raised in Nebraska, town of 1500. It's a farm town. My mom mm-hmm. worked at the bank. The bank made all the loans to all the, the farming community. Everybody that I went to school with was, very few were actually in our, our town of Auburn, Nebraska. They were all in, you know, connected to the family farm. So you know, I grew up in that environment, and everybody's voice matters everybody counts in this, in this world. And uh, you know, when you're doing advocacy for this industry, you got to make certain that uh, you're counting everybody. And I'll put any one of our members before a senator, a House member, even at the White House, uh, small, medium, large, doesn't matter. If they've got the right message and we need to, to put somebody in front of those decision makers, we will not hesitate to do so. It really tells a story of who we are, and why we matter. We're one in 16 jobs in the United States is trucking related. Top job in 29 states is a truck driver. And we're moving 71% of the freight in this country. We are a massive industry uh, in terms of our economy and jobs. We're the catalyst for growth. This country cannot do anything without trucking. And that message, that story has to be told at the highest level. And it has to be told by everybody, not just large carriers. It's got to be told... By you know the mom and pop you know trucking companies in in uh, the most rural congressional district in the country, they have a voice too, and ATA has a home for that. So as
1: you are as the ATA uh, going and lobbying for different interests, different mm-hmm. issues, how are you separating emotion from the facts, the data, yeah. and, and still trying to help make? good policies and regulations?
0: Well, I think holding everybody accountable is important. Um, let's just take, for instance, Congress. Uh, there's no shortage of drama, theater, emotion. Um, <laughs> it's an abundance. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a price commodity in, in, in uh, no Washington, doubt. D.C. No doubt. And we have an obligation, though, as your federation to navigate that. And it starts with understanding your environment. And it's no different than any business you have a competitive understanding. You know your landscape, you know the headwinds, you know the things it's going to take to grow your company, and the direction that you want to take it. That's no different in Washington. We're not a business, we're an association, but we represent business, and we have to have that business mindset. So I really push my staff hard to always benchmark and understand the environment we're trying to navigate And there's probably no more complicated environment to do that in than Washington because a lot of it is politically driven. The upside for trucking is that our story isn't a Republican or Democrat story. It's an American story. Mm -hmm. It's a success story. And it's one that should appeal to anybody. So we're not catering to uh, one party or the other. The House and Senate right now are so evenly divided. It's more of a working majority, not a voting majority. And so you have to go the extra mile to convince both sides of the political spectrum that what you are seeking, what you're advocating matters to them. So, you know, we, we have a lot of people from those states, from those districts come to Washington almost every week they're in session. We call them calls on Washington mm-hmm. and we take them to the Hill. We put you all, real people from outside Washington that work in the real world, our world, in front of these decision-makers to tell that story. And that really helps break down those walls. And they begin to form a trust and an understanding of what we're advocating, uh, that they can trust us. We're a good partner. What we're telling them is data-driven. It's not emotion. It's, it's real-world stuff. And we lead with safety. We lead with data. And we put real people out there that are working hard every day to put food on the table um, these are honest people in our industry, and they deserve a voice. And if we position that correctly, it's very compelling. And we've seen the reaction that we get from you know the majority leader in the Senate, a Republican, Mitch McConnell, to the, the House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, a Democrat. It really appeals to both. Infrastructure, roads and bridges aren't Republican or Democrat. We all drive on them. We have something in this for everybody. Mm-hmm. It should never be a politicized issue. How has it gotten to that point? So that responsibility is on us. If we don't amplify that message and, and tell our story, then uh, we're undermining our own ability to grow long term in a safe and responsible way. So, take issues like trade. Um, trade is not a, a partisan issue. We all want free and fair trade and. We lobbied the ATA hard for USMCA. This new agreement between US, Mexico, and Canada to replace NAFTA is going to be incredibly good for trucking and the economy. We move 76% of the NAFTA surface freight. 82% of the border crossings with Mexico and 71% with Canada are moved by truck. So if NAFTA were not renewed, it would not only devastate our industry, it would devastate the entire economy. So we need to really tell these stories, not from a Republican or a Democrat or a conservative or liberal perspective, but, you know, from a true trucking perspective is a good American story. And I, I think ATA is the place to house that uh, message. And our capability, our ability to tell that story uh, is is widely known. We've got, a, like I said, an 86-year pedigree uh, to look back on mm-hmm. and uh Uh, We're a well-known entity in Washington. So if we leverage that correctly, we can definitely move the needle. Yeah.
1: Are some issues easier to push and get better reception for than, than others? I I assume there's some that, you know, almost seem like no brainer type topics, but then there's probably others where there's a lot of pushback.
0: Yeah. Pick your flavor. Uh, Productivity is always an interesting debate, size and, and and weight is always an issue Mm -hmm. that will draw some some fragments of the industry and pit them against the other. Uh, I try seeing that the votes are not there to move length or weight uh, of our equipment, and that hasn't changed federally since 1982. So that that tells you something. It's going to be a lot longer because those vote ratios in the House and Senate, um, that is such a divisive issue. And it not only draws out different segments in our own industry to pit against one another, so, say, truckload against LTL. Mm-hmm. But it also draws out the safety advocates. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also brings out rail. Yeah. And, you know, we're moving 71% of the freight. I'd like to grow that to 80. I'm, I'm largely competitive. Um, I'd love to take as much share from other modes like rail as we possibly could. Wow. But they're going to push back, and they have deep pockets. And so we have to respect their their space. They need to respect ours. And uh, even when the, you know— uh, you know, freight moves on rail, you still got last mile. It's still right. going to have to come off a truck. And we're now over the last 10, 15 years, we're rail's biggest customer. Hmm. And we need yeah. to tell that. So long gone are the days where we were really pitted and really fought on almost every issue. We actually worked together on a lot of issues, trade, infrastructure. Those issues are are almost, you know, no daylight between us. So, And, and same with organized labor. So we're seeing some issues have drawn uh, harmony amongst the modes, even within our own industry. Uh, we've also seen uh, issues like safety. We're a big fan of technology and the adoption of solutions that, that create a, a safer environment to operate our equipment on the on the public motorways. Um, we still, you know, are, are going up against safety advocates, people that unfortunately have lost family members. Mm-hmm. That advocate for, uh, you know, physical mandates on our equipment, things that I think are very outdated. You're adding weight, you're adding strain on the mm-hmm. equipment, things that aren't well tested or proven and are very expensive to deploy. Whereas, you know, connectivity between cars, trucks, and infrastructure could be a tremendous catalyst to lowering fatalities. Think about that. All cars come 2025 are going to have automated emergency braking. Every car. And if that car is, is communicating with that truck or infrastructure, and if the driver's speeding or texting and not paying attention, the car will see that mm-hmm. and break. And I think we can save a lot of lives through technology. So there are a lot of things there. It's, it, we're all for safety. It's just how do you get there? Yeah. And so it's very important we have dialogue. It's important that we govern uh, those issues through data, not emotion. So let's get into a couple of these
1: specific uh, issues. Hmm. Uh, let's start with hours of service. Sure. Uh, I think I've had comments back. When I, I asked for some feedback here, and I had some that they're going way back into old days. <laughs> I was like, we're, "We're we're too far gone for some yeah. of that." Yeah. We're we are where we are now. But I think one of the biggest things is probably just some flexibility in the current rules right. in there. Uh, think about, uh, you know, thirty the 30-minute 30 break. That's a newer one uh, that, you know, a couple of years ago went went into effect. Uh, the ability to maybe move that around a little bit different, not have to be in the first eight. Um, things around just the time of day when when we're running during rush hour or mm-hmm. trying to avoid that, uh, things like that. And then also the, the effects that the our shippers and receivers have on our clock as drivers. Uh, that they are, if they hold us up and we've been there for five hours, we're talking yeah. detention time. Yeah. I haven't been doing anything for five, six hours, but my clock is up. And now I'm being forced to move off the lot because they're not letting me sit there. And yeah. I could have already started my 10 hour reset here. And now I'm moving and I'm back at square one. Sure. So, what are some of the specifics? What are some of the different flexibility things that you guys are working on? And, and
0: What's well, happening right now? Two things come to mind. It's a great question. It's a very complicated issue, uh, but it's also a very important issue. One, I think hours of service is important from a safety point of view, that the people operate the equipment are rested and regulated in a way that that uh, puts safety first. Not just themselves, but the motoring public. That's good for everybody, and we should always lead with that. The second piece of of these rules has to be based on common sense. Okay, And that's where we'd get into the flexibility discussion and so mm-hmm. on. Uh, it, the regulations cannot be written by by people sitting in windowless cubicles in Washington D.C. that have never been in a truck. They don't understand our industry, and they write these rules from the perspective of safety. But it's it's more driven on on uh, perspectives that are completely misaligned with how our business works. And so that real world perspective is very important, which is why ATA has been the leader in terms of driving. The uh, comments submitted to these real changes, Uh, we draw off of ATRI data. Uh, There's no better data source in the country than the American Transportation Research Institute. Uh, It's member funded. It's free data. Half of their budget is funded in partnership with DOT. So it's not tainted. It's extremely good, clean data that reflects that reality. Uh, They pulse not just our carriers, but our drivers. And those surveys, those research projects that they produce are contributing factors into how we shape a comment on a particular element of an hour service rule. So there's there's five pieces right now that are uh, that are were out for comment. The comment period's closed. The final rule has been brought to the secretary. The final rule will be soon submitted to OMB, which is the White House clearing. And once cleared, it goes back to the agency at DOT, FMCSA, and it's put out into the register as final. Okay, uh, Expect it to be litigated. There isn't a rule mm-hmm. that this is controversial that doesn't get litigated. Right. Some element of it will be. Um, of the five elements, you've got the 30-minute rest break, the short haul, uh, the mm-hmm. adverse weather conditions. Yep. You have the split sleeper, yep. and you have the 14-hour piece of it. I would say, just from my perspective and watching the evolution of this rule uh, go toward final, I would say that last piece, the 14 hour uh, change, I think that's probably going to drop. That's going to be, it might be a pilot, would be my sense. Um, I could see him, I don't think there's enough data there to justify that provision. It will get litigated if there is an absence of data in the rulemaking Mm -hmm. process. And I don't think the agency wants that to happen, but they do see merit, there's flexibility in there. I think the independent drivers like that provision as well. They voiced concern, but they haven't really brought a lot of data to the table to justify it. So if anything, rather than dropping it, seeing it put out as a pilot would probably be a good solution. Let's develop that provision. Let's let's inject some real-world certainty and some data around it, and then you can make it into the rulemaking later on. Uh, I see the split sleeper berth. I see the the short haul. Uh, the adverse weather conditions, the 30-minute rest break will be interesting to see what they do with that. It's always been a contentious issue. Mm-hmm. Um, when people want to take their break, they should be allowed to take their break. And there's the flexibility uh, you know, debate within that. Um, you know, Out of any of the other f- uh, the five, I'd say short haul. I've heard a lot about capacity and the impact that that can have uh, if it's not done correctly. You know, of the proposal, I still think a lot of work needs to be done on detention time. Uh, I think there are a lot of work needs to be centered on educating shippers. And uh, those are the realities that I don't think uh, are part of this particular proposal. Sure. Yeah. I think that still remains. I, th- I think we've got to keep, you know, churning on that issue and, and drive some outcomes there. So this proposal as a whole, it does a lot of things. I think it will be good overall. Um, I'm waiting to see what comes out as final and where it goes from there. It does not solve every problem out there. Sure. But it goes a long way, and I think that's their intent: is to let's try to get as much done as we can, keep the the ball moving. If you load it up too much, it'll 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 drop under its own weight. So I'm optimistic. I think it'll be a pretty good proposal overall. I mm-hmm. think it's generated a lot of comments, uh, not just ATA, but our members weighed in heavily, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing the final product.
1: Yeah, the end of this year, ELDS, the end of AOBRDS. That's all happening, right? Yeah. Um your perspective, how has that affected the industry as a whole? Is, is it is it positive? I know some are going to say there's negatives, there's people that are naysayers about it. I for one, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. It's reality at this point. And that it there's no more fudging on your logbooks. That yeah. <laughs> can't happen. That's right. But uh from where you've been sitting, have you been getting more and more feedback on that?
0: Oh, sure. I mean, we were at the center of the, the debate all along, and I inherited this issue. Uh, let's dial back. Um, when um, uh, MAP 21 was put forth, it actually mandated this in Congress, and mindful of the fact that was a Republican Congress, House and Senate, <laughs> okay? And they passed it three times. Three times it got passed, not just uh, MAP 21, but in the FAST Act, the current highway bill and as well as the uh, appropriations bill that funds the DOT. So three times it was sent to the president and signed into law. Yet it got litigated for several years. Courts ruled this is law of the land. It's going to go forward. ATA was an advocate from the beginning on this. And uh, we had an administration change. Trump administration came in. Uh, Direction came out to all departments, including DOT, to reduce the regulatory burden. Mm -hmm. This was one of those that were up for discussion a couple years ago, and they tried, especially the uh, owner-operators, independent drivers, tried very hard to unravel this because they lost in court. They saw it was going to go into effect, and they took another run at it, but it was mandated by Congress. The agency did not have the discretion to unravel this. The courts had already backed it. It was locked in. Uh, They did take a run at it in the House. Uh, We beat it. We, ATA, lobbied hard in favor of it by over 70 votes and uh, retained the rule. And that was really the last shot they had at overturning this. So it is law of the land. It is good for safety. CVSA reports 99% compliance uh, with hours of service. It is the best thing for safety. Uh, It levels the playing field. Uh, Nobody can cheat. Um, Nobody likes cheaters. OK, it's just a fact. Yep. Everybody's got to play by the same rules. And when you're letting people out there run 18, 20, 22 hours a stretch, it is impossible for that person to argue that that is safe. Yeah, It, it just simply isn't. Data proves it. And so technology has a role. It did not change the hours of service, not one bit. The only thing this changed was moving from 19th century technology paper, paper and pen to electronic, which we all have in the palm of our hand. Mm -hmm. So for anybody to complain that this is complicated, it's actually easier. It's more efficient. People are more regulated with their sleep. They're better rested. They're more productive. And uh, we have seen data that shows that uh, compensation uh, that, uh, that uh, owner operators uh, are making under the ELD rule has actually gone up, which is what we predicted it would do. So, you know, I, I think it's a, a, a tremendous step forward. I think it'll be a catalyst for other technologies, mm-hmm. telematics, connectivity, yeah. being able to determine what parts of a truck are, are you know, up for service so they don't become a safety problem. Um, there's a tremendous, uh, uh, you know, opportunities ahead. And I think ELDs is sort of the foundational element of that.
1: Getting into the trucking industry, and we we could talk about – Driver shortage or, you know, in fact, there's back and forth on whether that's even a real thing or not and everything. We won't get into that. Happy uh, to, <laughs> but, but ease of entry into the industry though, we're moving into requirements for, for trucking school uh, and, 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 having to do that. Do, do you expect, and are you pushing for any other changes, you know, modifications to that uh, new policy? Sure.
0: Well, the shortage in general, it, I, I will will just say in the outset, sure. it's real. It's real. It's felt. We track it. It's real data. Uh, we report on it after reports on it. Bureau of Labor Stat- uh, Statistics reports on it federally. Uh, we know it's real. It's 60,000 shortage right now. We know the projections over the next 10, 15 years. And uh, they're significant. They can't be ignored. And um, I came into this job uh, Almost four years ago, and issues like this really caught my attention. I, I'm a product of, of labor issues. I, I ran the labor committee in the Senate, and I went over as Assistant Secretary of Labor under Elaine Chao, who's now the DOT Secretary. So I did a four-year stint doing labor issues. So workforce development is something I'm very passionate about. And uh, first of all, you have to you have to acknowledge the problem. It has to be based on real data. We have all that now. What's the solution? And with trucking, it's not one thing. It's going to be many things. And it's something that's going to have to transpire over at least a decade to take effect. You're not going to transform an industry that moves 71% of the domestic freight in this country in one year's time. So what's the plan? We all talk about it, but nobody really wanted to put any solutions on the table. I said, when you have a problem like this or with marijuana being legalized or any issue... Uh, independent contractors and the uh, unraveling of that definition. When you see things like that, like automation, we have to have structure at ATA and we have to, meaning committees, we have to have members on those committees developing policy platforms that we in turns can take and advocate, whether they be in Congress, an agency or at the state level or in court. And so we shaped under the workforce development portfolio, a committee driven platform focus focuses on several solutions. One obviously, I think, to everybody, including this company, is hiring of veterans and exiting service people. It's the right thing to do. And companies across the country, large, medium, small, Absolutely. do it. And we're going to continue to do that. But that alone is not going to shore up the shortage. Right. Uh, we have a retiring and aging yet and retiring workforce, Absolutely. higher than the national average. And as they exit, if you are not, supplementing that exiting workforce with younger generation of of talent we're going to really you know find uh pressure being put on our industry to perform or other modes will take share from us which we can't allow that to happen so we need to be looking at urban hiring we need to be looking at minorities we need to be looking at gender i want more women in this workforce so right now it's 6 7% women penetration as drivers that needs to go up dramatically mm-hmm. tremendous potential there we may just not be looking in the right places. So urban environments, educating uh, people in those environments that are industry without a college degree and all the debt that comes with it, you can come in and make $50,000, $70,000 a year with health care, with benefits, and provide at a level that you could not do in an urban environment. And we need to really reach that, that, uh, that audience. And then, yes, I really am a big advocate at ATA for the 18- to 21-year-old crowd. Uh, This is very important. 48 states, including Illinois, allow an 18-year-old to drive a Class 8. It just can't cross state lines. Yep. Now, that works great from El Paso to Texarkana. Not so good from Texarkana, Texas to Texarkana, Arkansas. You cannot cross state lines. It makes zero sense. And I think it comes down to training and technology. I think this is a generation that if taught properly how to operate safely this equipment, there'll be tremendous gains. They'll come into our industry. They don't want to go to college. They shouldn't have to go to college. Why are we putting so much pressure on people to go to college? Those that drop out, then they've got two, three years of debt without a degree. Right. If they don't want to, they need to have options. And our industry is one of those options. And I think that uh, when you look at our nation's military, I have four kids. Two of them are in the Army. Okay, I have one that's a year and a half out from commissioning ROTC in the Army uh, as a a second lieutenant. I have a freshman at West Point. And uh, the training that my son and my daughter are getting in those uh, environments is simply outstanding. It's unmatched. And it should be. Our government is placing our trust in them to go abroad and protect our freedom between ages 18 and 21. Now, I'm pretty certain if we can teach them to do that, <laughs> we can teach them to cross state lines in a Class 8.
1: I agree. <laughs> so getting into that then, right now they've got to go to a trucking school yeah, to make that happen. And I, I don't know if this will happen or not, but I could see where trucking schools will capitalize on that and jack some cost up there, potentially. Mm-hmm. You know, the cost of, of doing that could start going up. Are we looking at possibilities for other ways of getting proper training to get in, and but maybe, you know, mitigating some of that cost?
0: We are, and and I think it it's not again one thing, but many. We have uh, the the pilot program at FMCSA DOT that that focuses on. Um, uh, it's a military pilot, uh, eighteen to twenty one, but it's also relevant to um, any skill set acquired under the military that is transferable, okay. so you can automatically get the CDL on the commercial Great. side. And it, it's meant to capture the skill set they they have uh, in the military and make certain that their transition out of that role and into the civilian world is seamless. Most of the people that enter in the veterans ranks, unemployed, homeless, addicted to drugs, is because there's no safety net. There's no segue from the military into a job. And they get lost into the ether and that's just a shame. That's a shame on everybody so. in the country should be involved and focused on making certain that that net is there. Our industry is one of those nets that can catch these mm-hmm. folks, give them a job, give them direction, and make that transition seamless. So the DOT is working very closely to ensure that those skills are transferable. They're now uh, applying that to 18 to 21, and now they're looking at expanding that pilot to 18 21 non-military so I think also apprenticeships are an area where we need to look at uh, how training skills can mm-hmm. uh, shed costs, but acquire training uh, in a controlled environment that makes folks qualified and skilled to do this job. So I think we need to look differently at how we do it from a workforce development point of view. And I like the fact that our industry, this association, ATA and and the government are working hand in glove to make that happen.
1: So I want to move on to uh, kind of a big topic, on litigation. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. These nuclear verdicts.
0: Issued a yeah And
1: <laughs> uh, look, I mean, if you drive between Indy and, and here, we see it all the time. You got oh, the hammer. You, I hammer. mean, it's it's all over the place, right? Yeah. Uh, just lawsuit happy. And w- first I'm going to ask, w- why is it that the trucking industry is such a huge target mm-hmm for these lawyers, what, what, what makes us such a big target there?
0: Well, the plaintiff's bar is a business. Okay. They're not out to to represent victims. Okay. That's a front. This is a business. This is a business where they go after deep pockets, so to speak. Um, We've seen it uh, time and time again with the medical industry, not just pharmaceuticals, but device manufacturers. This is the reason our health insurance costs are so sky high. Mm-hmm. It's because the plaintiff's bar has litigated them uh, into a hole. And we, as those that have to have insurance, have to pay higher premiums because of it. So it's, it's largely driven by the plaintiff's bar. And now they see our industry as the next you know, medical cash cow. And if we do not organize as an industry, by all sectors, large, medium, and small, our state associations, our federation— and step up and 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 tell the story of what's really happening. Guys like the hammer that have these multimillion dollar ad campaigns on these massive bulletin boards. I mean, he is putting people out of work to buy jets, yachts, pad their own pockets. I I I am at a loss for how that is good for our country, let alone our industry. This is a hardworking, family-oriented business. These are people that, that are putting food on the table. And these trial lawyers are coming in and, and, and taking their job away, their livelihood. That's, that is plain and simple as it gets. When you see uh, these nuclear verdicts, and I can cite multiple instances. The one I cite frequently is the Warner case down in Texas, 2014. Driver with a mentor in the truck, adverse conditions, wet, but going 25 miles an hour under the speed limit. And a vehicle crosses over the median of the interstate into the oncoming lane and strikes the truck. And yet the driver is able to bring it to a controlled stop after the collision. The state trooper on scene didn't even issue a ticket to the driver because it was obvious who was at fault.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yet the jury awarded $90 million to the to the family of the vehicle. How, how does that happen? It, it is... The the model that the plaintiff's bar has developed is gaining sympathy within a jury. They pick environments that have jury makeups that will be much more sympathetic to the victims rather than the company, and they purposely demonize our companies and our drivers as the responsible party. And because we have deep pockets, we're able then to, according to the jury reward, give these astronomical amounts to victims, whether it's their fault or not. Mm-hmm. And that's where technology has got to come into play. We've got to have cameras to capture that. To was a camera the in play in this situation? I believe so. It, okay. I, it, I'm not familiar if it was, it's still being litigated. Uh, and it, here's the deal though, $90 million, probably not going to be $90 million. They're going to get a settlement. They're going to have to litigate it toward a settlement. So they're on appeal get a settlement, they're probably still going to spend several million dollars, not just on the settlement, but mm-hmm. to litigate it to that point. That's money that can go to driver pay, benefits, better equipment, technology. Yeah, we're padding the pockets of trial lawyers. That story has got to be told because in the end, it's, it's not just our industry and people getting put out of work. The prices that people pay for everything they buy, from coffee to food to clothing, Is going to go up. Those costs will eventually get passed on to consumers and they need to get loud. So I think upstream, downstream, trucking has to be the glue in terms of driving a tort reform, legal reform agenda. And so in our annual meeting two months ago in California, we launched this and it's going to be at a minimum a 10 year initiative. It's going to be federal and state. It's going to be a block and tackle strategy on Capitol Hill where the votes aren't there to reform, but we can definitely put the brakes on anything coming down the pipe that will hurt us. Then our focus shifts to the state level, picking states that have a good makeup politically governor state houses that can get a majority vote for a very robust comprehensive tort reform bill passed and then take it state to state to state. And we're not going to get every state, California, New Jersey. I mean, that's the breeding ground of all bad policy, but if we can get a majority of the states out there, we create a better environment for trucking and for our future. And if ATA does not lead, we're going to be reacting as an industry. And this could be, in, it will impede our ability to grow mm-hmm. long-term. And so I look at it as the head of this association, is our responsibility to be that voice, to coordinate that strategy, and to drive that outcome. Yeah.
1: And, and there is, I know there's lots of data out there to yeah. back up our industry and how much truly at fault any of these incidents are and how safe truly the professional drivers are versus
0: right. I met in Indianapolis uh, last month with roughly 15 insurance companies and a number of them are members of ATA. So talk about the diversity, but there's a good starting point right now. We're going to spend the first year of the strategy, developing the foundation. You've got to have data. Okay, that's key. So you're spot on right. And who's got that data? Insurance companies. And don't sit there and tell me that it's proprietary because I'm pretty sure that your customers are not going to want to hear that when it comes down to tort reform, legal reform. So we are working with the insurance companies to standardize an issue set of data that everybody can agree on. They can provide information that helps build our narrative. And uh, without compromising their proprietary information. Mm-hmm. But it starts with that discussion. We had that. We're moving in that direction. And I believe the initiative that I'm outlining is going to be heavily funded by the insurance industry, hmm. not just the trucking industry. Wow. So as it should be, as it should be. They have as much to, at, at stake here as anybody. Sure, sure. Uh, and look at it from the medical side. So we, we, we we've seen this happen before. I don't want to go down that path. So we're going to be very proactive and aggressive in dealing with all stakeholders to get our message, right. Excellent. Well, I want to go ahead and get close to wrapping this up. Sure. So Chris, if you
1: would share with so our listening audience here is largely drivers, mm-hmm. leave them with uh, something that uh, encouragement of what they mean to this country, to this uh, economy, You've mentioned it already throughout as we've been talking here, but how would you leave that out?
0: Well, regardless of your political stripes, um, I'll cite a line from the president um, that he shared with uh, the ATA and our drivers at a rally in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania a year ago, he called our drivers heroes. And I don't think I can uh, come up with a better adjective for, for our drivers, for our technicians, for our people that are that are day in and day out making this happen, than that. You're all heroes. And uh, without you, our economy, our nation w- would be able to compete globally. We are the glue. We are the catalyst. And it's a great story. And you're helping us tell it day in and day out. So I don't lose sight of that. I, I, I commend our workforce, because they really are the 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 reasons uh, our country is great. So I like to point that out, that that comment came from an event we sponsored. We're playing, we're hitting way above our weight now. We're playing at a level we've never played before. The last three years, we're on the White House lawn. We're in the House and Senate constantly. We're being called up. We testified this year seven times before the House and Senate, even the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which is massive. hmm didn't even come close to that many. They're coming to us because they know we're, we're a good partner of choice, that we tell the truth. We're backed by millions of hardworking people. And we, I get up and go to work every day just smiling because I, I know that I'm telling the truth, that our story is on the side of the angels, because all the hardworking men and women out there, they're getting a job done. So they're heroes. And uh, I'm very, very proud to represent them and NosBom as members of the ATA.
1: Thanks for sharing that. And real quick, if we've got individuals out there that are passionate about uh, different reforms and policies going in, how how can they get involved? How can they make their voice
0: heard? Well, definitely go to uh, our new website, which I think will be up and running uh, probably in the next three weeks. (laughs) Believe me, this has been a, uh, a heavy uphill lift. This new website, www.trucking.org, is going to give you a a very solid view of our issue set and how to communicate, advocate with us, with your member of Congress, with your senators, and be able to get loud. And uh, first it starts with really educating. It's not what you can get uh, or what you want, it's what you can get. So let me be clear on that. It is not what you want, it's what you can get. And picking issues that have a chance of becoming a success, an outcome, uh, that alignment is very important. So we can't advocate everything; the votes just aren't there. But sure. what we do, what you will see on that site, what we're advocating on behalf of our drivers, our companies, uh, is is uh, realistic, in my opinion. And I, I really encourage people to weigh in directly with their members of Congress. Their elected officials have to be held accountable. And there's no better person to do that than their own constituents. And uh, when it's coming from our industry, it's even better. So really encourage you to get loud, get engaged, and advocate the issues that we're day in, day out working on your behalf.
1: Excellent. Chris, thanks again so much for stopping in here. Um, Really, really honored to host you here today. And uh, I really appreciate
0: you sitting in here with me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on
1: been listening to Terminal Exchange, the official podcast show of Nussbaum Transportation. Nussbaum is an industry leader in over-the-road freight transportation. For more information on Nussbaum's award-winning truckload services and top-paying driving careers, go to nussbaum.com or nussbaumjobs.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Terminal Exchange. New episodes arrive every Tuesday, so be sure to subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts and share a little love by writing us a review. Then go deeper into each exchange or listen to previous episodes at our podcast page, terminalexchange.org.